Elis, and thanks for tuning in to Renegade Files. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, broadcasting from the Jungle Villa Outpost, deep in the uncharted tropics. This is episode number three, Boris Kiprianovich, the boy from Mars. This episode is a pure unsolved mystery filled with incredible information passed on to us through Boris Kiprianovich, one of the most unique children to ever live. We will learn about Boris, his early life, the first signs that he was different, and examine the insights and claims that he put forth. Then we'll explore the mystery surrounding what has become of this incredible young man. Why did he disappear and where is he today? So thank you for tuning in to Renegade Files. Grab your sippy cup of iced coffee, get out your four-color clicky pen and your gyroscope, and join me as we explore the unexplained world of child genius and Martian fighter pilot, Boriska Kiprianovich. Boriska Kiprianovich. Boriska Kiprianovich. History is filled with tales of prodigies and remarkable talents in those of a very young age. Many of these stories confound explanation and enter territory far beyond the pale of kids who are merely musically, mathematically, or otherwise inclined. A few years ago, I met a couple who were relatively new parents. They were friends of some other friends of mine, and we had all gone to a festival that had a farmer's market in the daytime and then bands and food trucks at night. At one point after the market had wrapped up, but before the bands had started, there were groups of kids playing around in the grass uh, along the waterfront where we were. It was at this point my friends introduced me to this couple and their daughter who was, I think, about three or maybe she was just four years old. We had planned to meet up with this young family and my friends had told me how smart the toddler was. The family was quite nice and the little girl was great. I was talking with her when at one point the mother stopped us and asked the little girl, honey, who is the president of the United States? Barack Obama, the little girl enunciated. And how many days are there in a year? The mom asked. 365, the girl answered. At which point the girl I was out with said, amazing, and the mom beamed and the dad turned to watch a Harley Davidson chopper drive by and I went back to actually talking to the little girl again. She told me about a boy she had seen with a bike and she thought that he was maybe in trouble because his mom was making him walk and push the bike instead of letting him ride it. The point of all this is that that sweet little girl was probably very smart, but the contrived sound display her mom seemed to like putting her through was more of a weird exercise that had way more to do with the mother than it did the child. And I guess it's a fine way to teach kids. But the second I heard that little girl at the fair answer her mom's questions, I knew exactly how she knew those answers. But on this episode of The Renegade Files, I'll introduce you to a child who can answer questions and describe things that no one can explain to this day. Boris Kiprianovich was born on January 11, 1996, in Volgorod, Russia. He was often called Boriska, which means little Boris. At two weeks old, he could hold up his own head. At four months old, he could speak simple words. 
At eight months old, he spoke in complete sentences. By one year old, he could read and write some. Six months later, at one and a half years old, Boris Kiprianovich could fully read, write, draw, and paint. And not just draw and paint like a one and a half year old, but draw precision diagrams of locations that were mathematically to scale, and paint portraits of people complete with their colored auras. At two years old, he started kindergarten. His teacher said that Boris had total recall and was able to describe recent events in amazing detail, such as if he was asked to tell something that happened on his last recess period, whereas a normal kid would be like, uh, I don't know. Boris would say something like, last Thursday at 11.14 a.m., the class went to play on the playground. We walked in a line with Jen in front, then Carl, and then and he would proceed to name each of the 16 kids in the order that they had been in the line. Then he'd say, when we got to the playground, we saw that there was one white van with three men working on the power lines outside of the school. Two men were wearing tan pants, black boots, and white shirts. They climbed the poles, and another man in black pants and a red jacket stayed on the ground. At 11.45 a.m., the men were finished and left at the same time that we stopped playing and had to go back inside the school. So, things like that. Around this time, he began telling his mother stories of outer space, the planets, other solar systems, other galaxies, and especially Mars. He described distances between Earth and the other planets, as well as the sizes of certain galaxies, the soil compositions on other planets, and the gaseous conditions of various celestial bodies. He showed his mother pictures in a cosmology book the family had and explained which planets and galaxies were in the photos and illustrations, even though the book's text was in Latin. His mother, a doctor, did some research and quickly discovered that the claims and descriptions her son seemed to be obsessed with were correct. She also had the information confirmed by some scientists, but there are no records I could find of any formal studies conducted or recorded about exactly this. At 11 years old, Boriska Kiprianovich was tested and it was determined that he has an IQ of 200. Einstein's IQ was around 190. Stephen Hawking's IQ is 160. At one point, Boris found an old medical book that his mother had inherited and had for years, but she could never read it because it was also written in Latin. It seems that the mother had inherited a bunch of old Latin textbooks from her father or maybe her grandfather. I've seen it both ways. Boris proceeded to translate the book from Latin into Russian for his mother. He was seven years old. At this same age, Boris went on a camping trip with his family and some friends. At one point along the trip, he gathered all of the adults around a campfire, sat himself in the lotus position, and said, It's time for me to tell you all why I am here. He then went on to tell them about the history of ancient Mars, how the different races on the planet had developed opposing technologies and different methods of travel and weaponry, and that eventually disagreements about the use or applications of these divergent technologies led to wars. He said that Martian races waged war upon each other for years or even centuries, creating increasingly more powerful weapons until at last they decimated their entire planet in a cataclysmic nuclear war. Boris said that the surviving Martians moved underground to wait for the planet to heal, and that some of them transferred their souls into special stones, and that these stones were sent to Earth, and the Martian souls within were born again here to live once more. 
He said that even these new souls fell back into their warlike behavior and eventually destroyed some of the ancient technologically advanced civilizations that used to thrive on Earth some 70,000 years ago. Boris said he witnessed some of this destruction with his own eyes. He also said that there were other alien races that, at one point, tried to invade Mars. These were smaller, less spiritually advanced, but more vicious creatures, and that they look like what Earthlings call the small greys. Boris said that the Martians defeated and repelled this other alien race in a psychic war without either side ever firing a shot. That's just cool. Alien races engaged in a psychic war. This incredible and detailed story was conveyed to the group on the camping trip that night by Boris, seven years old, who retold the story from start to finish over a period of 90 minutes without ever pausing or getting up. Now, I want you to think about any of the seven-year-olds you may have known and imagine them not only telling a story for an hour and a half, but just sitting still for that long of a period of time. In the group that night was a German professor, Dr. Janaidi Belyamov. This doctor is described in other places as a Russian professor, so he's either a German professor in Russia or a Russian professor in Germany. I couldn't figure out which, although I think uh, Belyamov is more of a Russian name. In either case, he recorded Boris's impromptu presentation. The story goes that this professor posted the recording on the internet somehow, and it went viral and was picked up by a Russian newspaper, and thus, the fascinating story of Boris Kiprianovich became widespread news. As far as I can find, this recording was never released outside of Russia, and no translated English recording exists. I did, however, through extensive research, find a document that centers around this doctor's recording made that night. We'll get further into that part of the story a little bit later. For now, we'll dive into the best-known record of Boriska Kiprianovich and what he had to say. Perhaps the most famous collection of information associated with Boris Kiprianovich comes from an interview he did in 2008 when he was 11 years old. The video is available online in a few places. I'll put a link to it in the dark intel files for this episode. I will say that the video is less than riveting and it's a bit hard to watch. It's essentially a conversation of sorts between the interviewer and Boris as jockeyed back and forth between an interpreter. This process makes the interview seem more like a vocabulary exercise between the boy and the translator than a conversation between Boris and the interviewer. At times you can see him thinking as much about the meanings of the translated words going back and forth between the two adults doing the interview as he is thinking about the nature of the actual questions. This made me think that it may have been far better for the interviewer to write down her questions ahead of time than have those translated into Russian and film Boris either reading and answering them or being asked and answering them in his native language with subtitles so we could get a better sense of his story from his point of view. He could, after all, read since the time he was one and a half years old, and he could translate a Latin medical text into Russian when he was seven. How is it he couldn't have a direct conversation with the filmmaker at 11 in any language he wanted to? or at least in Russian, which he obviously spoke. This is not to criticize the documentary and the interview. If not for the work this group did, we would have little or no information about Boris, and it's likely that his story would be even less known than it is today. 
you can watch the video if you want to and go down the rabbit hole of the group that made it and decide for yourself what you think of who they are and what they do. They seem to have millions of followers, so you may already know about the project. I personally have a few reservations about some of their content and associations, but it's more of a gut feeling than a specific disagreement, and they are obviously creating large amounts of content that they feel very strongly about, so rock on. As for the remainder of Boris's story, I feel like the most authentic way to present who he is and the things he has said is to take the information directly from Boris himself, so we'll go through some of the most pertinent questions and answers we find in the interview to get it all from his own words, or at least the words of the translator and the interview producers who transcribed the words he spoke at the time. Then we'll dive into a few other accounts from various sources. We'll look at a few of his claims and the ways they relate to things we have speculated about or learned since. Finally, we'll look into the recent disappearance of Boris Kiprianovich, where he is now, and what has he gone on to do. I'll spare you a detailed description of the documentary beyond saying that it's clunky at best. Just to give you an idea for the tone and demeanor of the process, it's like I endure these cringes so you don't have to kind of thing. Here are a few of the early questions and answers. The interview asked Boris, how did you come to be here in um, this different city? The name of this city is, what is the name of this city? Now this question, what is the name of this city? is asked like the interviewer is literally asking it for the information. Like she doesn't know the name of the Russian city they're in and wants to have it on the recording for reference. Boris can sense this and you can see him sort of writhe and squirm his face as he listens to the interpreter ask what he has just heard the interviewer stammer over. Boriska tells her that it is the Volgorod area of Russia. He tells her the name of the city, which is Jernosk. But he kind of forces it out as if he's frustrated to be wasting his time answering something that anyone could have told this lady long before the interview. But he's exceptionally polite and in the end he smiles and he remains very considerate the entire time. The interviewer then asks him, do you understand why you are living here? To which he just smiles and shrugs his shoulders. Now, maybe this interviewer was trying to establish some kind of rapport with Boriska, but if she was, she was doing an awkward job of it at best. Beyond that, this is a kid who we know at this point has an IQ of 200. Asking him the name of the city they're in and why his family lives there are silly questions to ask someone like that. Can you imagine getting a chance to interview Stephen Hawking and when you do, you ask him, what's the name of this city we're in? <laughs> right? So, now this documentary interview is filled with unnecessary moments like this and I just wanted to give you some feel for what it takes to go through it. She asks him if he likes to play video games like other kids and he says he likes to read books. She asks him what kind of books, and he answers her, and the interpreter says fantasy books, which has led some people to think, oh, he is just reading fantasy books, and so now he's making up stories after reading sci-fi fantasy stuff. But really what happens, and if you listen closely, you can catch it in the interview, is that first the translator conveys Boris's answer as fantastic books. Then she almost immediately changes her words and says fantasy books. Boris looks up at her and says something else, and the translator then says scientific books. So we are obviously dealing with translations here, and that opens up an entire discipline of things to read into or speculate about. 
It's too bad, and I guess if we really want to understand what Boris has said, we have to just learn Russian and talk with him ourselves. Maybe if you speak Russian, you could watch the interview and see what you think about his answers and how they relate to the subtitles and translation input. I'd love to hear that kind of analysis of this documentary. So then the interviewer says, I understand that you are good at astrophysics in school. To which Boris says, no, we don't learn astrophysics in school. <laughs> so you get the idea of what Boris and we as the viewers are dealing with here. And now I'll move along and get into the more incredible things Boris has to say, in spite of what I would consider a dreadful interview, which he was way more accommodating than many others would have been. At an early point in the interview, Boris is joined by his mother. This interviewer asks his mother, if he doesn't learn astrophysics in school, where does he learn this? The mother says, From early childhood, we had a lot of books on astronomy. When he was three or four years old, he opened these books and started to tell numbers of the galaxies, although they were in Latin. It was amazing. Now, I think she could mean he started to tell us about a number of the galaxies. So right away, we have a confirmation by the mother herself that from the time Boris was in his early childhood, the family had a lot of books on astronomy in the house, which fully negates something that seems to have sprung up around this Boris Kiprianovich story, which is that he started describing galaxies and distances between planets when he was three or four without ever having been taught astronomy nor having ever seen any books about space. So at least the part about him never seeing any books about space just isn't true. This idea is most likely an urban legend. He actually had many books on astronomy at home. Nevertheless, this doesn't discredit how remarkable it is that a three or four year old could read and understand, then explain a Latin astronomy textbook. Then in the documentary, there's a segment of about two minutes or so where the interviewer asks a few things about Mars and Boris just sort of smiles. She asks him, what happened in the past on Mars? And Boris sort of withdraws. He comes across as shy, but were he older, you might interpret his demeanor as more non-compliant. In my research, I listened to a debate about this interview online, and one of the speakers made the comparison that Boris displays much of the same body language and polite but disturbed expressions you often see when you watch interviews with soldiers who have experienced the stresses of war and combat. That's pure conjecture, but it does seem like he doesn't want to talk about certain parts of his memories or past life or however we define his story. I mention this because it bears a strong contrast to the demeanor of a fantasy-minded kid who is telling a fantastical story for attention, or to be creative, or to simply lie. Think about an 11-year-old you may have known making up a story. A great example, and it's a fiction example, but it's a great example nonetheless, is from the movie A Christmas Story, when Ralphie finally gets the BB gun he wanted, and the first time he uses it, the BB ricochets back and breaks his glasses, nearly shooting his eye out just like everyone has told him all along would happen. Immediately, he concocts a story about an icicle falling off the garage eve and breaking his glasses because he doesn't want his new BB gun to be taken away. He goes inside, fake crying with his broken glasses, and he tells his worried and comforting mom, uh, I was outside and I was playing and there was this icicle and, and it was on the garage roof and uh, then it fell and it broke my glasses and I didn't know what to do and the icicle hit my eye and then I fell down and uh, then, I, then I couldn't find my glass. That's the way a kid who is making stuff up talks. 
This is not the way Boris talks. Boris talks like someone who doesn't want to say anything, and every time he does say something, he knows he is being misunderstood. It's more like he's trying to explain things to someone that he knows won't get it, like the way a pilot would tell a six-year-old about how a plane flies. So after a minute or two of him just kind of going off in his own head, the translator says to him, Tell them everything you know about Mars. Everybody here is a friend. Everything is fine. Don't feel shy. Don't worry. He protests a bit longer, saying he doesn't want it to be on television. Eventually, they convince him, and the interview continues. His mom tells him, it's okay, and uh, just tell them what you know about Mars. So Boris says, how should I start then? The interviewer says, start with when you were living on Mars. What did you do there? And Boris says, what Mars people could do, just make wars. She asks him if he was a soldier, and he says he was a pilot. She asks him if he flew a flying saucer, and he says, no one on Mars uses these saucers. He says there were ships of an airplane type. They were triangular. Then there were ships like a drop. And I think he means shaped like a drop of water. He does go on to struggle a bit to describe it, and he says, not exactly like a drop. She asks him about how the ships were powered, and he says plasma power, ion power. If they used gasoline, the fuel would run out too fast. The engines were too powerful. Now, this could be mistranslation, and he could have easily said something like liquid fuel, and the translator just made it gasoline. She asks him if the ships used force or magnetics. And once again, we see the limitations of this interviewer and Boris's immediate frustration. So what he does at this point is he just kind of abandons answering her questions, and he finally begins to just speak. And what he says is, not magnetic, turbines rotating, and plasma took fire somehow. I didn't study this in detail. And then they would speed up. Unfortunately, such an engine didn't let ships fly out of the solar system to another galaxy. Now this answer is very interesting. It's like he's saying, yeah, I was a pilot, but I wasn't a mechanic. Think about that. Do the technicians that work on F-16 fighter jets know things about the ways the engines work that the pilots don't? Absolutely they do. She then asks him if he time traveled, like through a portal. And he says, portal? Portal is the same as teleport. It slows down time and opens a kind of portal where time is speeding up fast. I can't say exactly. I don't remember. It opens on one side, and in a few seconds, or even minutes if the transfer is far away, it opens in another area of space. Then she asks him, do you go forward and backward in time, or did you go to other places? Boris says, it has almost nothing to do with time. The portal just opened, and not all ships had the same principle. Ships with plasma engines were limited to travel only in the solar system on high speed. The ships in the shape of a drop were carrying other ships. There was a hatch on them. Inside the upper part was a freight module. And since these drop ships were huge, they could take one ship, an airplane, or a triangle ship inside the lower bottom part. Now, that's pretty heavy stuff for an 11-year-old. He talks a bit more about names of galaxies and planets, and he says he can't remember many things. And he's noticeably relaxed at this point, and he's talking in a very casual, matter-of-fact way, like the way someone explaining something to you that you should already know about would talk. She then asks him, what were the wars about anyway? He says, 
Each race had its own technology and innovations. For example, if we had plasma and ion engines, others had energy engines. They became militant and started wars against each other. Each race was absolutely individual and had different equipment, different weapons, and even ships. They ask him about what the people or races on Mars were like, and he basically just says, I don't like to talk bad about people. <laughs> they ask him if he has anything good to say about the races on Mars, and his answer is this. You can use money and resources to help people or to harm them. You can make war, or you can invest in some technology that may help and make the reasons for war go away. Or you can help people who are ill or help children who can't walk. Right? Then they revisit an incident that they had attempted to coax from Boris at the very start of the documentary when there was a Dr. Vladislav there, a doctor whom I think was studying Boris. They were trying to say that there was some kind of trouble or criminals on the train as they came to the office where the interview was taking place and that Boris had some sixth sense that there was something wrong and that somehow he knew these criminals were on the train. At the start of the interview, Boris just kind of brushes it off and never really talks about it, so the doctor described the experience at the start of the documentary. Then after that, the interview eventually started. Like I said, the whole production is pretty shaky. That's just my opinion. But at this point in the interview, they go back to this incident on the train, and it's pretty funny what happens. They press Boris again to explain how he had this clairvoyant vision of the bad men on the train, and he finally just shakes his head and says, Frankly speaking, I didn't feel anything. Vladislav spoke about it very loud, and it could be heard through the whole compartment. <laughs> so he's just kind of calling him out, right? The mother asked him at this point to tell us about the Jupiter project and the Saturn project. Boris says these were terrible projects, and he doesn't want to talk about them. They push him a bit more, and the interviewer tells him that this video is being made to help people learn about Mars and life on other planets, and finally he starts to describe the projects. He says that the Martians were sending capsules into Jupiter. The capsules contained some kind of energy within them, and the plan was to ignite the gases of Jupiter to create a second sun. The interviewer asks him, quote, Well, what happened to the energy because Jupiter is not a second sun? Boris says, not because of lack of capsules. There were plenty of them. You could bring them every day. But there was a war on Mars. The project was never organized because of these wars. She then asks him, how did they kill people in these wars? And he just says, with weapons, I can't tell more. And it's obvious that he is disturbed by the memories of it, or at least by the subject. They ask him how he came to be here on Earth, and he says... There was a transmigration of souls. I was killed, and everybody was killed on Mars. There were not many souls on Mars, so they would use special stones to attract souls. They probably broke these stones, and it wasn't just my soul. There were many souls. Then they died. Not died. The people died. I mean, Martians. And then they migrated. The Martians created these stones. There were not enough warriors. It is considered that I died in a war. Actually, it was not only an attack from a neighboring Martian race. The war started when they made Merkaba. This is a device which teleports souls to another point, and they teleported to Earth. But I didn't see that, and I did not do that. I just read about it in an information source. 
they asked him if it was a book here, and he said it was not a book, but an information storage, something like the internet. At those times, this was like a hall of computers where you entered the internet. They ask him if there is anything else that's important about Mars that people should know about, and he says, and this is awesome, I don't even know what's important on Mars. I can't even remember how to construct a simple blaster. So as far as the documentary interview with Boris from 2008 when he was 11 years old, that's basically the end of it. There is more footage where they talk to the doctor and then the interviewer talks as they ride in a car and all of that's there if anyone wants to see it. Now let's don our crimson robes and creep into the Hall of Computers information source to learn a few other things that Boris told us. The distance from Mars to Earth varies constantly depending on the motions of the planets and their orbits around the Sun. When Mars is closest to Earth, the two planets are about 38.6 million miles apart. On average, Mars and Earth are about 140 million miles apart. As a point of reference, the Moon is 250,000 miles from Earth. When these billionaires that we have today decide to go into space for fun, they're really going into the lowest of Earth orbits, which I understand to be about 200 to 400 miles off the surface of the planet. Two to 400 miles off the surface of the planet. So when they talk about our company is going to colonize Mars and we're going to send people to Mars, they have a long row to hoe because right now they're going between 200 and 400 miles off the surface of the planet. They have 38.6 million miles to go to get to Mars and that's when Mars is at its closest. It's as far as 140 million miles away. It takes light 21 minutes to travel from here to Mars. So we're going to need some Boriska Kiprianovich level plasma engines before Elon Musk thinks he's going to drive to Mars. So there's that. Boris said in his past life, We took off from Mars and landed almost momentarily on Earth. When asked about the construction of the spaceships, Boris described them as percentages of materials. He said that 25% was the outer layer of durable metal. A second rubber-like layer made up 30%. The third layer, also 30%, was again metal. And that there was a 4% magnetic layer and that if you were to charge this magnetic layer, the machine could fly to anywhere in the universe. Boris said he lived on Mars as far back as 800,000 Earth years ago. He said that, quote, We could travel in time and space flying in round spaceships. We would observe life on Earth in triangular crafts. Martian spaceships are very complicated. They are layered, and they can fly all across the universe. He said that Martians did not age in the same way as Earthlings do because Martians breathe carbon dioxide, which does not degrade the body like oxygen does. Boris said that he was not the only child reincarnated from Mars to Earth and that many of the indigo children were also reincarnated here to help stop Earth from falling victim to the same nuclear wars that destroyed Mars in the distant past. So Boris tells us that 
His planet and his civilization was destroyed on Mars many thousands of years ago when the population escalated their warfare to a point where they destroyed themselves and their environment in a nuclear war. What's interesting about that is that the presence of radioactive materials on Mars has long since baffled scientists, and they've had several sort of theories for what could have caused that, and they still do. But at the 46th Lunar and Planetary Science Conference in 2015, J.E. Brandenburg from Morningstar Applied Physics in Vienna, Virginia, I think it's Virginia, presented a paper called Evidence for Large Anomalous Nuclear Explosions on Mars in the Past. And this document, I'll put it in the dark files for anyone who wants to check it out, is pretty technical, but we can get a good idea of what this is about through the introduction and some of the summaries. So from the introduction, previously it had been hypothesized that Mars had been the location of large natural nuclear reactors as are known to have occurred on Earth in the past. This hypothesis was prompted by evidence of a large nuclear energy release in Mars past and was considered the simplest hypothesis to explain the available data. Evidence of large-scale nuclear activity on Mars comes from a variety of sources. It has been a long-standing paradox that uranium, thorium, and potassium appear hyperabundant on Mars surface when compared to Mars meteorites, which are believed to sample subsurface rocks. This suggested a thin debris layer on the surface of Mars enriched in uranium, thorium, and potassium and dispersed by some impact or explosion. Thorium and radioactive potassium appear concentrated in the northern Mar Acadalium in the region of approximately 50 west, 55 north, with a smaller concentration in Utopia Planum, centered at approximately 90 east and 55 north, with an additional small concentration at the approximate antipode of the Acadalium hotspot. This pattern suggested a massive explosion such as the explosive disassembly of a large natural nuclear reactor, producing a global debris pattern with a shock wave wrapping around the planet and colliding with itself at the approximate antipode. So now we'll skip down to the last part that I'm going to get into in this document, and it is called Alternative Hypotheses to a Natural Nuclear Reactor in Mars Past. So from this section. The natural nuclear reactor hypothesis had the merit that it provided a known source for a large nuclear explosion that, in turn, explained the salient features of Mars isotopic anomalies with one or two events. However, deeper analysis of the xenon spectrum and absence of large craters has shown this hypothesis to be inadequate. Therefore, we must consider other hypotheses that are more complex. The first hypothesis that will be considered is that nuclear explosions occurred in mid-air but that their cause is anomalous. This is to be called the anomalous explosion hypothesis. So this is a document written by a physicist and it calls into question the fact that it seems like there was a nuclear explosion on Mars in the past that cannot be accounted for in some of the other natural ways that they had sort of thought was possible. Now, there are some other ideas uh, that are out there, such as two meteorites colliding above the surface but below the atmosphere. If both of those meteorites contain nuclear material, they could cause an explosion that would 
that could distribute these radioactive materials uh, across the surface of Mars. But they described these radioactive uranium, thorium, and radioactive potassium as hyperabundant on the surface of Mars when compared to, you know, the the samples that they take from deeper below. So, so it isn't that the planet is composed of radioactive materials. It is more the case that something exploded on the surface and covered the surface with these materials. So that's definitely interesting. It certainly doesn't prove anything that Boris said, but it's interesting that the two things line up. One of the most eloquent and seemingly important quotes comes from a journal his mother wrote. Accordingly, Boris once said to her, You are a forerunner. You have cleared the platform for us. In the highest spheres, you are considered a hero. You have the heaviest burden on your shoulders. I have come to the new time. A holographic code is already visible and is superimposed upon space. Everything will come to light in a new fire of thought very quickly. The transition from one world to another will take place through the substance of time. I have brought the new time. I have brought the new information. He was asked, Boris, tell me what do people suffer from? And he said, from not living correctly and not being able to be happy. You have to wait for your cosmic halves. Don't get involved with others' fates. Don't break or destroy your wholeness. Don't suffer from modern mistakes, but connect with your destiny. Finish the cycle of development and go closer to the new heights. You need to become kind. If they will beat you, go embrace them. If they shame you, don't wait for their excuses, but go down on your knees and ask forgiveness for your shamers. If they insult you and lower you, tell them thank you for this and smile. If they hate you, love them as they are. This is the relationship of love, humility, and forgiveness important for people. The true magic is love. As you recall earlier, I mentioned that the first time anyone besides his mother heard Boris's incredible story in his own words was on the camping trip where he sat down and, at seven years old, told a group of adults a 90-minute epic saga about the wars on Mars and his mission to help save Earth from a similar destructive fate. What got my attention about this legendary event was the fact that I kept reading that someone had recorded Boriska's entire presentation that night. I never found out how it was recorded. A video, an audio recording, no one says. So I wanted to verify if the recording was ever even a reality, because much of what I did find at first was just the same sentence in a multitude of sketchy, new age, UFO brothers, woo woo sites where the fact that this German professor supposedly recorded the monologue given that night by Boriska. I kept searching for the recording the guy supposedly made, and all I kept finding were blog posts and articles about Borisco with a sentence that always goes something like, and thankfully the German professor, Dr. Genady Beliamov, who was there that night, had the presence of mind to record everything Boriska said. But then there's nothing about what the recording captured or anything at all about where to find it in any form. So I started digging. 
doing some deep research and yeah I went down some rabbit holes as they say eventually I did discover one lead it was an article that mentioned this professor and embedded in the text was one of those old-school Adobe file logo icons connected to a long string of unintelligible text but at the end of the text were three letters that I did understand PDF I opened the document and lo and behold there it was the 12-page transcript that Dr. Belimov had made when Boris had given his legendary 90-minute dissertation on the camping trip so many years ago. At least that's what it looked like at first, and it wasn't in Russian, but it was in German. So I started to translate what was there, and sure enough, I'd found it, or so I thought. The opening summary reads, Boriska, the Indigo Boy from Mars, by Genady Belimov. This long and fascinating article was edited by the prestigious Russian writer, Genady Belyamov, who was in the camp at that same time that Boriska started there for the first time to talk about experiences he had made over the many years. But sadly, as is so often the case with seriously deep esoteric research, what I had found was not what it was purported to be. It was a document, yes, it was written by this doctor, but it was not the transcript of what Boriska had said, but rather a long-winded explanation written by the doctor about what had happened that night at the campsite and about what the doctor thinks about Boriska. There were a few Boriska quotes from that night and from some of the other times the doctor spoke to him. As far as I could tell from my translations of the file from German to English, this was a report created by Dr. Belyamov over the course of a year following that night he heard Boris's story at the campsite. The paper is a recounting of the times after that night that the doctor visited and talked to Boris and a few of the questions and answers from those visits. Most of the things Boris says as written in this report are things we already know from his other interviews. There are a few good Boriska quotes in the document though, so here are the best two. On page six of the document, the doctor asked Boriska, how do you know these words, wholeness, cycles, cosmos, sorcery, Lemurians? And Boriska says, I know, Keyless, spelled K-E-I-L-I-S. The doctor says, what did you say? And Bertica says, I just said, I greet you in the language of my planet. Then toward the end, the doctor asks him something else. We only read in the doctor's notes that he asked the boy another question, but we never find out what that question was. The only thing we are told here is Bertica's answer. His reply, that was your last question. At which point... Boris Kiprianovich stopped talking to this doctor and never answered or even acknowledged anything the man said or did again. Before we go into where Boris is now, let me say thank you so much for listening to Renegade Files. Our website is at therenegadefiles.com and it is a one-stop shop for finding our episodes, our merchandise shop, and the Patreon page. I want you to know that I've made a great effort to ensure that the Renegade Files episodes are always ad-free. We're excited to be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Blueberry, and many others. But I have specifically refused requests to have the podcast hosted on certain platforms because those platforms embed ads into the podcast and you can't opt out of that. If you do ever hear an ad at the beginning, middle, or end of the Renegade Files episodes, it's most likely a case of listening to the show on a free version of the audio app platform you're using. The free versions are great, but the ads are put in there by the platform itself, and we don't make any money from those ads. 
If your streaming app service serves you ads you'd rather avoid, you can always listen to Renegade Files at our website. The episodes are at the bottom of the homepage in a blog format, and the player is at the bottom of each episode post. So I'll make sure that Renegade Files episodes are always free for you to hear. They are not, however, free to research, record, edit, produce, host, and distribute. If you would like to make sure that Renegade Files is always independent and that we can keep giving you our own crazy brand of content, visit us on Patreon where you can find even more content, get some cool rewards, and help the show live and grow by supporting our efforts with any amount you see fit. You can check out our Patreon tiers that start at 5 bucks a month, with each higher tier giving you deeper access and more rewards, or you can make your own amount, even 2 bucks a month if you want. The reality is that every penny helps us do what we do, and we do it for the love of finding mysteries and covert tales and sharing them with you in fun and informative ways. Look for new episodes three times a month, every 10 days. New Renegade Files episodes post every month on the 1st, the 11th, and the 21st. So follow us or subscribe where you listen so you can always catch the newest case. So as of now, Boris Kiprianovich is 25 years old. His social media accounts have long since gone dormant, and it's impossible to even figure out when exactly he disappeared from public view. It is said that journalists have searched for him with no luck for several years. Some sources claim that he is living in a remote Russian village and that he is working with Roscosmos, the Russian space agency, but no definitive evidence for that exists. In the last known picture of Boris, he looks to be in his 20s, smiling, his big warm smile, and hugging a younger boy who looks amazingly like the younger genius Bordiska of 11 we saw so graciously endure his famous interview. Maybe the boy in the photo is his son or his nephew, or maybe he's another indigo kid hanging out with someone who truly understands him. We may never know if all the fantastical stories Boris told us as a boy are true. Did Mars destroy itself in a nuclear war? And were Boris and others like him reincarnated on Earth to save us from a similar and oh-so-avoidable fate? Was he just the product of an over-encouraging mother with a house full of space books and a kid with an IQ higher than Stephen Hawking's who was far too polite to tell everyone he ever met that he could hardly stand to endure a conversation with them? Or are his memories genuine, collected from the stardust of a billion galaxies, teeming with life and manifesting in a trillion, trillion ways? Maybe the best way to remember Boriska Kiprianovich is to remember what he tells us in his own words. Don't get involved with others' fates. Don't break or destroy your wholeness. Don't suffer from modern mistakes, but connect with your destiny. Become kind. If they will beat you, go embrace them. If they insult you and lower you, tell them thank you for this and smile. If they hate you, love them as they are. This is the relationship of love, humility, and forgiveness important for people. The true magic is love. Thank you sincerely for listening to this episode of Renegade Files. I hope you had fun learning about my favorite Martian. See you in 10 days. 
Stay wild, hippie child. <laughs>